Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. But if you're not clear on like that you're valuable, like the wonkiness comes from I'm not, I think, and maybe in my logical brain, I know I'm providing value, but I'm not 100% sure maybe in my heart or maybe I'm just not sure if I'm valuable. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hello, my name is Suzanne Park, and I'm a former tech marketer turned author, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. I'm fairly new to the Women in Tech community. Since the shelter-in-place orders were implemented, I found myself rekindling and strengthening relationships, as well as looking for new communities of like-minded people. I worked in tech marketing for over 10 years and then switched careers to become an author. And I found that being an author is half creative and also half business. All of these key business topics are discussed in your podcast, and that's where I get so much value from the women in tech. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Suzanne Park, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-P-A-R-K. And on Facebook, I'm Suzanne Park Comedy, one word. And you can also find me on my website at SuzannePark.com. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Maya Angelou said a quote, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. I think about that a lot. I think about how... How are we showing up in the world? How do we make others feel? Our teammates, our friends, our family, our neighbors, the people we cross as we're walking down the street. How do we make all those people feel? And is it how we want to show up in the world? Are those two things in alignment? I mean, it's a little bit controversial because we we don't want to be, you know, people pleasing and that kind of thing. That's not what I mean. Is the impact that you're intending to have on your surroundings the impact that you're actually creating? I think that's that's the question to ask of the day. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from New York, Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Hey, how are you? So good. Really excited to have you on the show. To kick things off, why don't you go ahead, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
Sure. I am a musician, primarily a composer. So I've written music for commercials, films, choirs. I've written a musical. Uh, I've toured with the, my band for six years. I've gotten a lot of placements on TV shows. So I've sort of done the whole independent music thing. And more recently, I'm considering myself more of a writer and a collaborator. Additionally, I have sort of started accidentally, but started on this path of starting a company called In the Key of Success, which is resources specifically to help other independent musicians level up their careers. And tell us a little bit about your history and technology. Yeah. My dad is an engineer and he owned a company that was an engineering company. So he would always come home with like, you know, when they got new computers, we would get these old PCs with the Pac-Man type games on them, you know, with like the pixelated. So, I mean, I remember being like really, really little in, in our summer vacations, like every night we would sit and type for 10 minutes when I was like, I don't know, seven years old. So I got into computers and always had a respect for them and and felt really, really cool when I got to high school. And I mean, this is in like the 90s, late 90s, right? So, and I could type faster than anyone and sort of like understand what an what operating system was and MS-DOS. And, you know, I could do a little bit of that. So I, I always sort of took it for granted because it's just like something that my sister and I were doing with at home. And then when I got to Cornell University, I was studying biology and then I decided to double major in music. I went right into the music tech department and that was sort of a, a budding new department. They had just created a whole new building and redid the whole building. So one of the projects I got to work on was actually building a studio. They gave me a budget. And then, yeah, it was really cool to be in the program at that time. To, and each, you know, couple students each got their own studio and I had a budget and I had to figure out how to wire it and what software we needed. And so it was kind of a like toss your hat over the fence and just figure it out. And for some reason, when I first joined the major, my, my advisor was, was like, oh, do you know the basics of technology? And I had done a little bit in high school, like a little bit of like film scoring, just elective sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, okay, we'll skip you out of the 101 tech class. We'll just put you in 401. I was like, what happened to 201 and 301? And I I was so in over my head, but it was one of those, you just figure it out. And it was such a small class because the department was so small that I was able to really get one-on-one attention. And just I just had to figure a lot of things out really, really fast and figure out the cables and figure out the software. And uh, some of that software that I learned a very long time ago, I still use. Um, all right, I, obviously, I'm using the newer versions, like the version 20. Point five. Um, so yeah, it started pretty early. I'm really grateful to that. And I knew kind of through college and then right right when I was doing my first internship was at a recording studio. So I knew right away that it was going to be really valuable for me to not just wash the toilets in the in the internship, but ask the engineers if I could come and watch them plug things in and set up mics and figure out the cables. And I think to this day, I, I'm so grateful that I had the sort of foresight to be curious about that stuff because it is really empowering when you don't need to hire someone to do X, Y, and Z for your projects that are tech related. And you very strongly feel that you're in tech. And so, and obviously with your history being involved in the tech world, how do you see music and tech in your life today dance together? I mean, for me, they they are completely together. It's so funny that you say I see myself in a tech world. I, I, I don't often think of like, oh, I'm in a tech industry. I'm in a creative industry. But the people that are creating a lot of stuff very quickly are the ones that, that are either in really tight partnerships where they, they're doing the creating and someone else is doing the tech part, or they've gotten those skills. And I think that I'm, you know, I have partners and I have a ton of people I love working with, but I, I do love to be able to mix my own soundtracks and my own songs and everything like that. And, you know, sometimes I want a different perspective. So I will go to someone else. But yeah, it is it is a tech world. And I think we assume right now that everything's a tech world because it all we, we all 
exist on our phones. We do assume everything's Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like if you're in tech, you understand what's not tech. But if you're not in tech, then you feel like everything is tech. Totally. Totally. I mean, so I, I kind of take it for granted because I've just been everything I've always done has involved a level of tech that I know is tech <laughs> versus like just you know, what you're saying is that there is there is a difference. Absolutely. Like everybody, sorry, like everybody that has a website doesn't mean that they're in tech because they have a website. Exactly. <laughs> it's essentially what I mean. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that was one of the things early on. I was like, oh, I'm a musician. I have records out. I need to have a website. So I learned website and I was at a job that was like, we need a website too. Why don't we just pay you to go to this coding class? And so I like learned how to code. Um, it was like, you know, HTML and HTML5, like long time ago. Now I'm like, Oh, God, sign me up for Wix any day of the week at this point. I mean, not just kidding. No, no. But HTML5 was the new new at the time. That was a really big deal because it was the easiest way to get on mobile without coding for mobile. Totally. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think having grown up with my mind in computers a little bit more than now than the other people around me now, obviously that like all the kids are on their phone. So it's not unusual to be techie in that way. But I think for then it was it was is something that got me thinking that it was important. And so I've been able to say, okay, yeah, I need to go learn how to code. That makes sense when other people were like, I'm just going to hire someone. And so I think that I was able to sort of get my hand into the tech side of things to the point where, you know, last year I came up against, okay, I'm I'm writing a new record and it's a very different style. Most of my, my other records were pop and singer songwriter type of stuff where I did have like real pop mixers, the people sort of mixing for radio there, that is what they do. And so as techie as I feel like I am, I definitely wanted that ear and that talent and that level of technical proficiency to be mixing my records. But last year I was doing a sort of solo piano ambient record and I realized that I wanted to be the one that mixed it as part of the composition process because in mixing it, you know, you can put some sounds on the left side and the right side and it actually creates the experience. So not just writing out the notes. I was really like, oh, I'm bringing... I'm bringing this tech into my world now, into my creative world in a way that I hadn't before for records. Um, so that was really interesting. As well as the tech, when you're scoring films, there's a whole bunch of different levels of media that you've got to deal with and timing and simti code and all sorts of different things that you're, you've, you've got to synchronize up with the film or commercial, whatever piece of media that you're getting. So that's a whole nother level of tech. What would be really cool, I don't know if you're able to do this because of all the agreements you have everywhere. Do you have a music sample that you could send us that we could include? include on this episode so people could get a, a vibe of your work that we could use on the episode itself? Sure. Like just a sample. Yeah. Because I know with all, with all your agreements, that's a tricky question sometimes. I own everything I do. The only thing that I, I don't own is uh, any music I've written for commercials. So I could send you to like the like Honey Nut Cheerios website to show you the commercial that I wrote for them. But if you want to hear my pop stuff, I can send you a song. Or if you want to hear the music that's like for Mindfulness, which is the new record that that just came out, I can send you a track you can play underneath. Yeah, whatever. I'll, I'm happy to send you a couple. Yeah, that would be great. Well included in the show. Well, well included in the episode and in the show notes, we could include links to your commercial. So go ahead if you want to. Sure. I definitely don't want to trouble you after this. But even if you have one link, I think that would be really fun for everybody to check out. Oh, absolutely.
So what would you say in your career is a huge obstacle that you successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? That's a really great question. I think the the biggest obstacle that I can think of recently is sort of, I, I'm very big on declaring goals and with my fan base and my, you know, people on social, I, I'm always about like, here's the game I'm playing. Do you want to play with me? And then it's, it becomes a we thing. That's sort of how I've always operated. So for this new record, Luminary, that came, was coming out in February, I declared that I wanted to be number one on the Billboard charts in the New Age category because my first New Age record, I was like, let's give this a whirl. And so I was like, let's pre-order it, go listen on Spotify, like go get it on iTunes, leave the comments, like do all the things so for like three months, right, leading up to to the release. And to my fan base, to, like to absolutely everywhere. You're like in the grocery store, you're like, yo. Yeah, I would like talk to friends who like teach yoga classes, and, like, play this in your yoga class. Like, I was like, literally, it was all I talked about. And people were like, what was your what was your promotion strategy? And I was like, I talked about it. And and I shared like, here's what it means to be on the billboard charts. So there's a level of ed- education. And two weeks before uh, the record came out, the billboard charts changed how they calculate the charts. And I found out that even if, if my record had released two weeks early, it was it would have been number one, like on that chart. Yeah. No. And so they changed how they count it. And it's like way too stupid, complicated to get into right now. But they changed how they count it. And I got on the billboard actually emailed me a couple of days before the chart came out. And, and they vetted all my information because they're like, you are in the top 500 selling albums of, of all genres, not just new age. And then they're like, but on the new age chart, you didn't get N- number one because of whatever. But what I did get, so that was like, so I was looking at this as like, oh my God, I feel so stupid. I have all these thousands of people that like, that like A, stepped up and B, like, no, I've been like playing this game. But then I realized it was number one on iTunes and number one on Amazon. <gasps> yes, I'm giving you high I know, five. I see it. I appreciate that. And and so part of me is like, okay, well, I didn't win the game I set out. So does that mean that I lost? And I, I don't think it does. And I looked at like, what are the other wins that came from this? So for, for me, when I sort of like set out a goal, whatever it is, like whether it's tech related or just something I want for my career. And and I don't hit it, which happens a lot, especially when you're generating 100% of everything, connections, money, everything by yourself. So you, you like, I'm setting goals all the time. And a lot of them don't get hit. But there are a lot of like side effect goals and side effect milestones that you hit. And I wasn't going for an iTunes chart. And I, I mean, I was in the top 50 of all the, the albums released, like I was next to like Kesha and Taylor Swift, like it was, it was super crazy. So I, I feel like the way I overcome it just mentally is to say, okay, well, let's look at what did happen. (laughs) But for me, that was like a little bit of a block that I felt like was out of my control. But at the same time was, you know, yeah, I don't don't know if that answered the question. That was the most recent one. (laughs) It does. No, I love it. I I actually, if if you're comfortable, I would love to get in. There's two questions I want to ask. One, I'd love to get into the life of, of an artist and how to the business behind the creative, if you're comfortable. Yeah. We made the joke earlier on how you went to coding bootcamp and you learned HTML5 at the time. And then you made the joke about Wix, which anybody who doesn't know Wix, it's it makes it so you can build websites really easy, which is valid. One, was it difficult when you went through the coding boot camp to, to learn? Did you feel like it was a lot to overcome in learning? And then why did you decide to not pursue it any longer? And just a caveat to that, or I don't know if caveat's the right word, but I too studied Python <laughs> coding And I decided this wasn't the life for me. And so I'm just curious what you discovered about yourself in your journey. I think when I specifically around coding, but I do have another example of the same thing where I was like learning something technical and decided like, no, but I can say that in a second. But for the the coding thing, I was like there to learn a skill so that I could build this person's website at a time when when sites like Wix and Banzoogle and like other drag and drop sites that make it 
much easier. You don't have to do any sort of code before that existed. And so it was just like a skill I needed in order. It was like a means to an end, right? And it wasn't something that I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go make websites for musicians now. Although there are people that do that, which is great, you know, and there's Squarespace and people that do that through all the sites. But I think it was just one of those, uh, like, I I knew that it was pushing some limits for me intellectually. It was language that I hadn't been around. But, you know, people, I was always really good at math. My math SATs were so much higher than my, my verbal. And people say that, yeah, like math and music, like, go together. There's a lot of, like, linear sort of numerical ways of thinking. And so I kind of was like, okay, I'm good at math. I'm good at music. I can do this coding thing. But it was definitely like it brought in an element of language and just different ways of of seeing things, especially having done certain things for so long. Like I've been playing the piano since I was two, which is a very linear way to play. The way I play is very linear. And then when I go to sit, sit and play guitar, which is like chords, which is kind of more upright, it's almost the opposite to me. I start playing it linear. My guitar player in my band was always like, you're playing the guitar like a piano, like cut it out. Like that's, and I was like, okay, yeah, you just stick to the guitar. Like I really, so I think I get sort of stuck in things that I had done for a long time. So I just learned the, the coding thing. I can, you know, I can, it's very easy for me to like add in some little like HTML tags on some, you know, extra widget sites on my sites that I use. And, and that's all I need right now. So I figured I got what I needed. But the other example was when I was when I was working at this, this recording studio, and I was sort of training to be I was on the engineer track to be the person that's like, you know, mixing all the doing the faders and getting the, the volumes right of all the different instruments and hooking up the microphones and making sure the artists sound good. And I just realized like after four months of doing that and being on that track that I missed sunlight, because all of the recording studios are like really dark and like, people were smoking in them at the time. And like, I was just like, this is not like healthy for me. And it's not like in aligned with my personality and what I think I want. So I, I was like, cool. I learned these skills, but I think I want to go try something else. And I was in this trial and error period, which I don't think people should be in for a very long time. I think it's good to be really intentional and get clear on what you want. But when you're just learning what's available in your field, that was, that's the trial and error error period I was in. And it was sort of a, okay, cool. That didn't work. Like what else? So I think that that's the same thing with the coding, like, cool, I got what I needed. And I'm not feeling like the passion around this. And I, I do feel passion around a lot of things. So I know when I don't feel it, it, that it's like, okay, take what I need. And then like, bye. Totally. And what, what does a day in your life look like right now? I'd really love to dive in to the business behind the artist, because talking about engaging your fans, how you even grew your fan base in the first place is not easy. Engaging your fans to help you get to the top of the billboard chart, like thinking about the sustainability of being an artist financially. Can you kind of welcome us into your world, how you make it possible to to be an artist? Sure. Yeah, it's a super weird world. Also didn't make it to the top of the billboard charts, just to be clear. No, but you could have if they didn't change their algorithm thing. <laughs> I totally, I totally could have, yeah. Um, so now I'm working on their new algorithm. It's fine. So yeah, so day in my... Every day for me is really different. I have a, I'm very project based. For example, I think last summer was a really great example. I went to Greece for an artist residency. I was the only composer. It was all painters and you know other visual artists. And that's I had two weeks to record this record. I had a room with a piano in it. And then when I finished that, I had three days to just 
bebop around Greece. My sister came and met me. And then I went to France where a social justice choir was performing in a big choral festival for 5,000 people outside in like that French Alps. That must have been gorgeous. It was amazing. And I went to listen to this piece of mine that, that they wrote that it was a feminist piece based on some French text from the 1800s that it was, you know, because it was in France. And then literally the day I flew back from France, I went to auditions for my musical Boiler Room Girls, which is based on a Kennedy event from the 60s that I co-wrote with someone. And so, and that went up in New York um, for a couple of days to full houses. So like the, those, that whole like week of Greece to France to like, it kind of spanned like the composer to all sorts of different projects. So I was very much in like creative mode and getting to see these things come to fruition. But you know, a couple months before I was in planning mode and I was writing. And then a couple months after now I'm in like promotion mode. Okay, the, the record's done. Now I got to go promote it and, you know, get on the charts and do all the things. So I, I kind of go in waves throughout the year in, in these chunks. So day to day, like right now, I'm definitely in like absorbing mode. Like I am, I'm working with a PR company on the record because, you know, it just came out. And so I'm, I'm able to sort of hand off some stuff to them, which is great the record was written to keep people awake, but also keep them focused and mindful. So it's really good for working from home, which a lot of people are doing right now. So it's been really great to say, hey, here's this like, record that takes you on a journey, but is also really like calming and you can do yoga too. So it's, it's been really great to sort of promote that. And then I've also been really focusing on my musician community. So I have a mastermind that I've been running for four years that it's independent musicians that are not just starting off. They probably have a record or two or they've toured and they're kind of looking at, okay, what else uh, I've done all I know to do. Is this a paid mastermind? Like, do they pay you to be yeah, uh, we have to get into that because okay, yeah. here's why I'm asking, because I've been entrepreneurial since I was a little girl, since I, I was four years old. I remember being an entrepreneur, but I feel I identify like my core being is of an artist. Like when I podcast, I feel that I'm painting audio. I'm a writer. I've been writing my whole life. And so my interests are business, but I think my personality default is artist. And so I really admire that you were able to marry the two worlds in a sustainable way. I, I think it's cool. And I think it's really, really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, the, the the business side of it kind of came by accident because I, I had been touring with my band. I, I had put out these pop records. I got a couple licenses. I had come from the commercial world. So I went from engineering studio to I got a job as an assistant tech at a composing house in New York City. And then from there, I would just stay late and start writing music for the commercials, even though I was hired as their tech. And so I became an in-house composer there. And that led me to being like, oh, why don't I just record my records? So when I was doing all that stuff, I started to I left the jingle house. I left the day jobs and was just touring and licensing my music, getting them on commercials because I had all these commercial connections. So I started to get asked to speak at music conferences about how do you make a full-time music career and like, how do you profit when you're touring and how did you get your licenses? And I realized that a lot of musicians started asking me like the same questions. So I was like, well, let me put this together in a, in like a quick little PDF. So I made a little book of like, here are the things that I did. I, I love personal development. So I did some leadership trainings and was able to really listen for what was blocking them rather than just be like, well, here's what I did. Cause there's a hundred different, there's thousands of different ways to do anything creative and, and get success in it. And mine really came down to communication, like being really good at pitching and really making sure that the value people could see the value in me. And I was sure of the value and which musicians are a lot of 
coming from like a place of, hey, can you help me versus I have an opportunity for you. And then the other element of communication is email marketing. And, and no one in the music industry was doing that well. So I went outside the music industry, got certified as a digital marketing email person and like came back and I was like, yeah, of course, I'm a super dork. You figured that out. And sort of came back because my email list were the people when I was touring, I would collect emails really early on. I knew that it was important to stay in touch with these people. And this was like, just as MySpace was ending. And so I I knew that email was going to stick. I was that person in college that would like email all of my friends like updates every six months, like back before it was even a thing to like have email lists. So so yeah, email marketing was kind of become my thing and no one's talking about it. So I kind of attracted musicians that were at the place to be like, yeah, I have a fan base. What do I do with them? And how do I nurture them? And how do I sell to them without feeling like a salesman and like all that sort of stuff? So that's kind of what I've created, you know, online programs and then a mastermind just to kind of bring all the musicians that were attracted to like my energy and and doing similar things, but ready to level up because that's sort of my thing is like, I'm always like, what's next? Well, okay, a couple of, one, I'm just super curious. Uh, what tool do you use for your email marketing? I have used them all. I have tried them. I, I went from uh, Constant Contact to MailChimp to Infusionsoft, and now I am happily with Kajabi. Ooh. And I use Kajabi... I use Kajabi to host my courses and all my landing pages and are, they're my payment processor. And I I really got deep into the world of Infusionsoft and ClickFunnels and the back end and using Zapier to connect them all. And I realized I was just paying a lot. And also if one thing went wrong on run, one platform, it was very hard to track it down and troubleshoot when you're connecting six, it was like six different things because the courses were hosted on Thinkific. So like there were all, there were so many different platforms involved. And then I met, I went to a digital marketing conference and met some people from Kajabi and I was- Which one? Uh, what's it? Teens trafficking conversions in San Diego. Um, and it was great if you if you like hanging out with middle aged white dudes, you should go to that conference. <laughs> it's so true. I actually know the guys who founded Kajabi, and I've been. They used to call me the Kajabi girl, but I've actually never had a Kajabi course. But I was such a Kajabi evangelist. <laughs> yeah, they're they're great. They're. I mean, there are some. It's a great company. Yeah, and I mean, their tech support. There's so many things that are great about them. They really love their their customers. Their partnership affiliate program is amazing. So anytime I tell anyone about Kajabi, they they just are very so grateful. They like they send you like cool stuff in the mail and it's great. But I really, I mean, when you go from a really, really specific platform, like a CRM, like Infusionsoft to something that's doing a lot more like all in one, you will lose some bells and whistles. So I've sort of spent a year kind of like figuring out what I don't need. And and also they, they're very open to suggestions and I've seen things change. So it's the same thing why I use Canva instead of Photoshop. Like I'm really good with Photoshop, but when Canva came out, I'm like, this is so easy. If you guys don't know Canva, it is just the magical solution to image creation of any sort, whether you want to create a, a flyer or a Facebook post or an Instagram post or any kind of image related thing and you don't want to touch Photoshop, Canva is the the jam. Yeah. And that was another one of those like sort of techie skills that I like learned because I was like, well, who's going to create my graphics? Cool. I'll learn Photoshop. And it's the same thing with coding. Like, cool, I could code a, you know, WordPress website better now, but I'm going to use Kajabi. And my musician site is hosted on Banzooka, which is a drag and drop site for musicians. And so, so yeah, so now for email marketing, I, I transferred everything over. I'm on, in Kajabi and I have a couple lists, one for musicians and then one for my fans. Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. 
we would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. And you said something really specific. We, I want to get into like how you uh, initially started communicating with value. You said something, you said a lot of musicians ask for a favor. You didn't say them that way. I think you said ask for help and how you present it is you're presenting an opportunity. What kind of language? Can you give us an example of what that looks like? Because I think that applies to so many of us. Yeah, I think, well, I think the biggest thing that I see is musicians saying like, check this out or anyone saying anything. Like I have a new app, I have a new whatever, like check it out. And linguistically, check it out is a command. So you might as well have said, <laughs> come back in my house. <laughs> <laughs> like so if you were gonna true. be like no and it's it's sort of that like billboard effect right so check check this out is not like we're trained to kind of just get we get prickly around that kind of language so first of all i always attach some sort of goal especially if it's a new thing like getting subscribers to your youtube channel like hey i'm planning a game to get 100 new subscribers by the end of the day would you be willing to go share this with your friends. Like, and sometimes, first of all, it's always a yes or no question. Like that's, would you, and I say, would you be willing to rather than could you? Because the, when someone's reading it out loud to themselves, the W's are way softer than the K sound. So it lands as like a partnership versus a, I don't know, like an aggressive, like I need you to do this. I need you. Because sometimes the, like the asks for help come out either desperate or really meek. So that's why when you ask a yes or no question, there's actually psychology that backs this up, that when you ask a yes or no question, the brain answers it, which has you that much closer to taking in action. So if I were to say, do you like my sweater? Yeah. You actually answered it. So you're going to be much like in your head, you answered it, right? Versus like, check out my sweater. And you're kind of like, it's like driving by a billboard. Oh, that's true. I totally even physically just felt different in the way that you asked. That was so interesting. You already know that I like your sweater. And when you asked, I was like, yeah, yeah, I like your sweater. And then when you said, check out my sweater, I'm like, I felt like this weird resistance. It was strange. It's just like, you either don't want to do it because it's a command or you're just like, I don't even know what that, like what? So, so yeah. So when to get to the specific answer of what's the language, I always make sure that it's this, would you be willing to, I, I sort of set it up as like, a, this is something we're in together. I, I make it clear what the win is for them, as well as the win for me. Because if you go to a, a, like a car's lot, like a sale, a used car salesman lot, whatever, and the salesman comes up to you and is like, there's a 50% off deal, right? over here, like you want to get this, you'll be like, that's sketchy. Why is it 50? What's wrong with it? But if he's like, Hey, we're doing 50% off. And this is what, like, I get a commission when I, I can sell two 50% offs. And I just want to give this to you. Like, you're like, Oh, this guy's human. I see what's in it for him. And then it becomes way less weird. Right. So like people want to know what's in it for you. So like sharing the wins for everybody, is really important. And then making sure that it's a yes or no question. And it doesn't even need to be like, would you hire me? It could be, would you be willing to interview me? Or would you be willing to have a conversation? Something I use in my emails, and I didn't even know that I was matching this because I do do the other one that you say not to do. And now I'm like, okay, I better change that. And I'll give you an example of where I do that. I'm going to be really open and vulnerable about it. But one thing I do do that matches what you're saying is in emails, I never assume, like when I'm talking to a business contact, I never assume they want to make the time. So I always say, are you open to exploring this further? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really right. great question. Are, are you are you interested enough to continue this conversation? It, first of all, they can answer yes, no, or maybe. Like, or, like, and the maybe can look like I am interested, but not now. Can you get back in touch with me in two months? And if that's the case, then I go right to my calendar and put in a little note to like get in touch, right? People are always going to say yes, no, or maybe. And I think we're, we always get weird about actually asking a direct yes or no question because we're going to get a direct answer. And that answer can be a little scary. But the thing is, there's always something to do. If you get a no, cool, there's some, there's now there's more pitches to do. If you get a yes, you have to follow through with a yes. So there's more work to either way, there's more work to do. (laughs) So yeah, take the emotion out of it. And then it's like, cool, let's be direct and get some get some results here. Funny, I'm going to be open and vulnerable for a second. I don't know if this is completely faux pas to do on my own podcast. But just before or not just earlier today, I was messaging with my team that I was going to have us remove the contribution ask. I'm going to be very open that we don't get many contributors. And so I'm like, obviously, first, I wasn't for years, I didn't even have an ask like at all. And one of our listeners who is just amazing, she's such a she's such a hero. I love her. She said, I really want to contribute and you make it really hard. Can you help me know how to do that? I'm like, whoa, I didn't know I made it so hard. So I changed some stuff up and then I included it. And then she messaged me. She's like, so I'm so happy you included it. But no one has contributed to that. So I'm like, well, obviously it's not working. So I told my team, let's like remove it. And then I thought maybe it's because I don't say it on every episode. Like it's it's like a pre-produced thing and it's the same voice every time. So maybe it sounds inauthentic. But after listening to you, maybe it's the words that I'm using and that I don't have a collaborative. I don't know. I'm not sure. But you're you've definitely inspired me to revisit how I'm saying it, because maybe it's the words that I'm using that have contributed to the consequence of, because I get, I mean, Cheryl, every day, like, this podcast has changed my life. Like, this podcast has made me feel less alone. Like, all these amazing things. And then here I am producing this artwork for years. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, people say that they feel really impacted, but no one's contributing. And I shouldn't say no one. It's just, it's very, very, very few, very few, which is very embarrassing. And I'm sorry, like, it's, I'm embarrassed right now saying that, but it's true. No, I, I totally get that. Oh my gosh. I, first of all, I really love that you shared that with me and your listeners. I think that's really special. And it's always really special to get a little insight into the the back end of how people are thinking about this stuff. And I'm so embarrassed right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, my God, you should not be embarrassed. And I, I I mean, like, also, it just says like the kind of person that you attract that you have someone who's been listening and was able to say to you like, hey, I, I want to contribute. Can you make it easier? And then you like took that feedback and went with it. And I think that's one of the things I see this with musicians a lot is like, they either don't say that they have a CD for sale, or they're like expecting their fans to do like Jedi mind tricks or something to like figure it out. Yeah, I was expecting the Jedi mind yeah. tricks. <laughs> we have to say the thing that we that we want. And and my my thing is like my website's always changing. The homepage is always changing, but because of the projects I'm working on. So if I go to a choral festival where there's going to be all these choral directors, I want them to go to my website and have as little work to do as possible to find my choral music. So it's now on the homepage. And it also says, this is the thing that I'm most committed to right now. And when I'm promoting my record, that will be the number one thing on the homepage because I want it to be clear to people, this is what's most important to me. And it's why in all my emails, there's only one link in my signature. There's only one call to action because people get overwhelmed really easily. They're not going to know what's important to you unless you tell them and really are clear 
about, hey, this is the thing I want. Would you be willing to help me out and do this? Here's the link. And I think there's some number that you lose between 30 and 60% of people per click that they have to go through to do the thing that you're asking them to do. So the less clicks, the better. So all of those things, just saying it, not just saying that you have it, but actually asking, would you go contribute? Like, would you go, hey, everyone, will you go contribute to this awesome podcast that's making such a difference in the world of so many people? Yeah, I asked for you. Thank you. And the reason I'm sharing this is not, I mean, it's for me, but I share as a representation because I think we all struggle with this. And so I'm sharing on behalf of our community at large. So I feel, Cheryl, that when I ask, I feel, you know, when you were talking about earlier that some people sound, what's the word you said, either bashful, uh, embarrassed, hesitant. It was something meek, wonky, squirrely. Like, yeah, like like I'm that. So like I sound, uh, you guys, I'm just being really open and vulnerable and I feel stupid. I'm telling you right now. But I, I just think I just think that like it's important to me. It's important to put myself out there as a protection for our community because I hope this helps. But because I, I feel so insecure about myself, I do ask in a way that's apol- I apologetically ask that I, that's what I'm trying to get. And so how do I shift? Because to me, technology and podcasting is my art. Like I'm an artist. And so how do I shift to also be a business person? I think the, the mindset shift around there that's going to land in the language and how you deliver that ask is really to be really, really clear on you on what you're providing. And if you can say like, when you contribute to me, I'm able to do X, Y, and Z. And you don't necessarily need to say that in your ask, but if you're not clear on like that you're valuable, like the wonkiness comes from, I'm not, I think, and maybe in my logical brain, I know I'm providing value, but I'm not a hundred percent sure maybe in my heart, or maybe I'm just not sure if I'm valuable. So the, the hesitation and the, all the, you know, whatever, I just keep using the word wonkiness comes from not being really clear that, that this is a value exchange. They're showing up monetarily. You're showing up with your art, with your advice, with your guests, with the time, with the, you know, all the back end stuff that you have to do here to make this work, to give them content so that they have it while they're driving and cooking and studying and doing all the things and and get to listen to this. So if you're not really clear on, on how you're valuable, it's going to land for them that it's not valuable. And but as an artist, when there is so much free content, I feel like why why would someone want to pay for content, essentially? Well, I don't think they're paying for content. I think the because technically the content, this you know podcast, they're free. So what they're paying for is a deeper relationship, right? A stake in the podcast, not not like technically a stake, obviously, but there it's an acknowledgement in a form of money. And acknowledgement can come in a lot of forms. It can come in, you know, leaving a comment and liking it or, you know, giving it five stars on iTunes. It can, it can come and and maybe you don't have time to do that or you're just like, I can't be bothered, but it's way easier for me to just like click this one little link and Venmo some money or whatever, however you have it set up. Like there are different ways and it will work for different people. So in some ways it's good to have a couple options that you're not telling them all at once, but you can sort of cycle through the months of different ways that people can 
say, hey, yeah, I've been listening to this for a while and it's making a difference for me. And you can just say, if it's making a difference for you, I'd love to know. And there's a couple ways you can show me. That's so, even you saying it makes me feel so uneasy. But with that, like, I I just want to use this moment. Can you, everybody listening who would like to be a part of your mastermind or learn more from you and get more in detail, is there a way, is it just for musicians or is there a way for anybody to be involved? Well, first off, I do one-on-one coaching. I am trained as a career coach and I, I will work with anyone. I've worked with yoga instructors, mountain guides, and obviously musicians and teachers and all sorts of different people just looking to level up in general. That's my thing. My mastermind is called In the Key Elite. And it is right now it is primarily musicians and creative people and artists and people that are in the entrepreneurial creative world, which is a, you know, a crossover. So it is absolutely open to anyone. The conversations we have are very much specific to music. Sometimes someone's like, hey, I went live and my keyboard didn't go through. Does anyone know how to like fix the key? Like there will be music specific questions because majority of people there. But I mean, this whole week was creating abundance. So everyone picked an area in their life. About a third of the group picked money. A third of the group picked attracting fans and people, or maybe it was subscribers or Spotify, but some some number of people. And, and a third of the group picked something like that was a little more nebulous, like balance or fun. Someone said that like, so creating abundance in the specific. And then we just did some workshops. We, we had a guest vision board workshop led by someone. Normally is a monthly mastermind, but when the pandemic started, I've been going daily. So we meet for almost an hour and it's $37 a month. It's the stupidest deal in the world. And it's like magical place. Like people are, you guys, I am signing up. You guys, do you know what I'm doing so after cute. we're done with this podcast? Oh, my, if you're not signing, how can you give us the URL, please? Yeah. In the key.co slash elite. And we'll include it in the show notes as well. Um, Honestly, I did not know about Cheryl's Mastermind whatsoever. This is completely organic. And I am blown away that it's only 37 bucks a month. That's crazy. It reminds me how crazy I was when I charged that low rate for my club membership with the LA Tech community back in 2015. And I was also crazy. But it just shows our heart that we just want to make it accessible and really bring value to people. And we want to take the block out and just make sure it's enough to have it make sense or at least fractionally make sense. (laughs) That's the word blocks. Like we, we see, I mean, and the way I like to phrase it, it's like we're walking through a forest and we can see the light at the, through the end of the forest. And a lot of people think blocks are like these big brick walls to climb over. But for me, they're like a glass window. You can, you're like, I know I can do this. I see the light over there, but there's this glass right here and I can't get around and I can't go over it. So it's like, what is this mental block? Is it some feeling around if I get wealthy, I'll be guilty. There's a guilt. Like, so we have to release. So we name the block and then we get rid of it there what if it's is it a block around like attracting fans or maybe it's a block around making that big pitch to one person you can have blocks or like micro blocks and so we do a lot of talking about that sort of stuff just to like cracking up blocks left and right (laughs) so and as we start to wrap up the episode what is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever gotten oh that's a great question my mentor, who is an Emmy-winning composer, if you've ever watched Homeland or 24 or Jessica Jones, he writes all the music for them. And he is like one of the most beautiful souls in the world. And anytime I'm in LA, he makes time for me. And he said to me once, like when I was really like, I'm going to be a songwriter and I'm going to be a composer. He was like, there is value in focus. And at the time I did not listen. I like kind of went all over the place and was trying all these different things. And right now when I'm doing something, I am like very focused on it. And, and even if there are a couple things that I'm doing, like right now I've got my luminary record, which I would love for everyone to listen to on repeat on Spotify. You can go to I am to find all the links, but that's like one thing. 
And then like, I'm really, I'm focusing on this, this, this mastermind and giving people value in a time when everyone's alone, but still being able to level up during this time. So I've been noticing over the past few years that when I focus on a project exclusively, I mean, when you're in a mountain town with no Wi-Fi in the middle of Greece, like you're going to come up with some of the best crap you've ever written because, and I was like, Oh, what's happening here? I'm focusing. So I think that like, you know, oh, you can have it all. You can do all the things like I like, yes, 100,000%. Like I totally believe that, but not in the exact same moment. And I don't think that that's what moments are for. So I'm, I'm all about, yes, I'm going to do these 10 different projects and I'm going to do them all really well, but only if I give them a hundred percent in the moment. So I think that that is the best advice I've gotten. That's really good advice. How about your favorite book? My Younger Years by Arthur Rubenstein. It's a really weird old story by some like 19th century piano player. And I, a friend gave it to me and I was like, this is the weirdest book. Why would I want to read about some old piano dude? It is the most, I read it like once a year. I love it. What is the thing that makes you love it so much? It's got this, he's like, he's, first of all, he's funny, but he's got this very human, like when he wants to quit, what brings him back? And it's, it's always the same like struggle. And it's funny as like a reader, you're like, you're doing the same thing, but it's like totally what we do. Like we have our patterns of, I can't do this now, especially as an entrepreneur as or as someone that's like just constantly having to generate the next thing. So I just really get a lot of lightness out of reading that story and that it's just really timeless. And so it makes, I think when you can connect to something that happened way long time ago, it makes you feel like you're, you're not alone, not only right now, but like in all of time. <laughs> oh, I love that. And how can people connect with you? I'm a big fan of connecting on Instagram. I'm CBE music. I also just joined TikTok under the same name, which I'm like sort of experimenting with. No, I have a TikTok Facebook group for you. TikTok secrets is <gasps> literally probably the best Facebook. It's just such an over delivery on value. It blows my mind. It's run by a guy named Michael Sanchez. Highly recommend it. I just won their weekly challenge. I just get a one-on-one call with him because uh, I was like, I'll try this challenge. And I don't think I did it well. I think I just won because I did it. (laughs) And I was like, I think it was like a pity win, honestly. So yeah, I'm in that group. You won the challenge? I won. He does like weekly challenges and like picks a couple winners. Dude, that's awesome. (laughs) He's like, he's an unusual dude. (laughs) No, he's great. He gives a total over. No, unusual. Like I'm yeah, over delivery to the max. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Instagram, that's the greatest place. And then I am illuminary.com. And uh, I'm always like anywhere where you listen to music, if you leave comments, I'm always like thanking people and all this, all that stuff. Amazing. Cheryl, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember, go to the Women in Tech Facebook group, Twitter, Instagram at Women in Tech Show. Say hello on social and Women in Tech VIP will take you straight to the Facebook group. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. This is Cheryl B. Inglehart of CBE Music. I am a composer and musician who helps other musicians level up. I'm based in the Hudson Valley of New York, and you are listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world 
blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you. And I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.